So in this episode, Ryan and I discuss insurable interest, which must exist at the time of application for all life insurance, and then the unique implications of that when it comes to the infinite banking concept. We had fun and hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Hi, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. Okay, and uh, thanks for listening. As usual, you know, Saturday morning, downtown Alvarado, Texas, pushing back the frontiers of ignorance, expanding the frontiers of knowledge. I show up with no topic. Mr. Griggs shows up with his half-written book, or maybe a chapter out of his half-written book. I just... Maybe, wait, he already has the book fully written, first draft. <laughs> That's a true statement, but no, I have an hour to consider things while I'm on the way here, and uh, yeah, so I think about what I want to talk about. And I'm just like <laughs> drinking coffee outside of Coyote Flats, Texas, mm-hmm. you know, listening to nature for the hour prior to showing up here. I'm not really thinking about podcasting or infinite banking or life insurance. I mean, so you're welcome. This is, <laughs> this is this is why we have topics. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so he comes up with insurable interest. Yeah, we've never talked about it before. I mean, we've mentioned it, but not at length. I talk about it all day, every day, all day long. And I have had conversations this past week about it, which is why I wanted to bring it up. But um, so in order for life insurance to go in force, there has to be an insurable interest. Right. Prior to the requirement of an insurable interest, uh, there were these stranger-owned type policies where Stoli. an individual would insure someone they didn't know and whom they did not have an insurable interest. And that goes it. back a long way in history, in the history of life insurance. Yeah, yeah. It's like you go back far enough, and nobility was purchasing tontines and different things for the pre-construct of life insurance mm. on strangers. <laughs> Or people they really had no insurable interest in. Then it became like uh, the Tontine system was really later, and it was like a profit motive, hmm. right? And and you know, there's a reason American U.S. companies don't write policies in South and Central America. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that uh, the degree of corruption. Yeah. Um, so the, as as life insurance developed, you know, there were some guidelines that have developed and. Along, every, along with everything else, even the policy provisions have developed. We've talked about those. Mm-hmm. But um, in, in life insurance is tax-free, the death benefit, because it's a replacement of a loss, mm-hmm. right? So if I buy life insurance on somebody I don't know and they die, there's no loss to me. If I have life insurance on them and there's no insurable interest, then it's like an investment, I'm mm. profiting from their death. More of a speculative thing rather than Absolutely. replacement of something that right, right. you were expecting to enjoy. So the, the guidelines have developed over the years, and now it's uh, a challenge sometimes getting policies past the underwriters. <laughs> mm. And we've, we have said that before, that it can be a challenge getting things past, getting an application past an underwriter, getting a client the ability to pay a premium that they actually want to pay. And that's where it's come up, and I know it's going to come up with a case that just started for me this past week. 
is when you when you is there can grasshopper be, you're probably properly prepared you can handle it you can oh, it. i know but i just know it's coming and we had one that we talked about before the show earlier this year uh where there if it's a a business context with a specific business entity namely a c corporation where you introduce a tax all various tax considerations and you know certain entities are going to maybe a business entity might pay for things that are therefore business expenses and this can this causes changes on the cash flow statement and ultimately on what the on paper w2 income that is paid to the individual who may have started the company so you mean the taxable net income right. not just on paper on what paper are we speaking <laughs> right, on the on the tax returns yeah whatever they are you right because okay and so the reason that that situation can present difficulties with respect to insurable interest is that what the the degree to which the insurable interest is present is typically a function of income of somebody's income right so for an individual for just a, a non-business owner or an individual doesn't have a c corporation or anything like that the basis of the insurable interest is gross annual income and you that could be an s corp or pass-through entity right an llc yeah. or an s corp um, because the pass-through entity an s corp an llc the tax rate is you know quote unquote pass through to the owners right mm -hmm. so the individual so there really is a distinction between the pass through side and the non pass through side it's kind of like the c corp and then everybody else right both individual independent contractor types and then owners of c corporations llc's and this kind of thing is that you can for for those folks for the non c corp type people when <coughs> determining the magnitude of the insurable interest we can use gross so pre-tax income for the year as the basis upon which to determine the degree of insurable interest. <laughs> well, right? I, I really wish it was that black and white. And it's supposed to be. That's the way I present it. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, and, and you know, the underwriters are going by their guidelines. Yeah. Right? National Association of Insurance Commissioners guidelines. Um, so, I mean... So uh, let me back that up. Okay, so the idea is death okay. benefits the replacement of lost future income. Right. And so we have to look at what an individual pass-through entity or individual's current gross income is, right? And then we multiply that number depending upon the individual's age by the industry calls it an income factor. But you basically assume that the individual is going to earn, say, that income for a certain number of years going off into the future, mm -hmm. forever, however old they are. Right? If someone's in their 20s, maybe you say that their annual income is going to continue for 30 years. And so you multiply the annual gross pre-tax income times 30, and that gets you the magnitude of that individual's insurable interest. The death benefit that they can own. Right. On the their the own maximum life. that they can apply for at a given time that well, they can have in place by all, all sources. sources. Except for maybe uh, if they have a part-time job and there's some kind of group coverage at work, you don't have to, you can exclude that. Yeah. Right? But and if that I comes own up it, often. Yeah. It does. Um, and, and that, you know, uh, there's a point in time that that is beneficial to you, right, to use. Um, and then there are other times where it doesn't really matter. So if I'm an individual, okay, and my insurability is, you know, $10 million from all sources, okay, 
a job. billion dollars. Doing I'm pretty just, good. You can, move, <laughs> uh, you can move the digits either way. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, and I really don't. I don't want to be. I do not want to throw out large numbers to impress or i.e. intimidate anyone. That's not the point. So I like simple math in round numbers. Okay. So let's say that my insurability is one million dollars. Right, because of my age. And as we age, like you mentioned, the 20-year-old has a 30-time income factor. Mm-hmm. The older we get, that factor reduces. Yeah. So at my age, I can have 15 times total amount in force from all sources, you know, 15 times my in- annual At the income. time of application. That's right. Yeah. And so I may, let's say that that is, you know, a million dollars. If I already have $500,000 in force, mm-hmm. then I can only qualify for 500000 From personally owned yeah, insurance. personally owned, right. So there's one-time salary on you from your employer. That doesn't count. <clears throat> right. If I have group coverage, that does not count against me. Mm-hmm. Right. But as we discuss insurability and insurable interest, I may want to use group coverage mm-hmm. to help support my insurable interest in like, or the insurable interests of my children, per se, uh, or my spouse. Ah, uh, right? I see what you're saying there. Because there are different restrictions for when you attempt to insure, say, people in your family. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Suddenly, the basis for those policies is not necessarily the insurable interest in the way we've been talking about it. So, right. a, a basis of replaced yeah, and, lost and, income. It becomes a function of whatever the primary individual, the, the head of household or the breadwinner in the family becomes a function of what they have in force on their life. Right. Because um, I could I could have a non-income earning spouse in this, mm-hmm. right? And they're generally the ones that work harder than the working spouse. I agree and understand. Yeah. So if the income earning spouse has, you know, like $10 million in coverage, or let's say one million. I like that ten million dollar figure. <laughs> I don't know why I'm throwing it around. I don't know. Okay, a million dollars in coverage for the income earning spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, a non-income earning spouse can have half of what the income earning spouse has in force and apply for half of what. Yeah, and the, have. Yeah. I mean, that's what they can have is five hundred thousand. Well, on, on that point, though, because when, like out into the future, uh-huh. like it, it is, it's just what they can ask for at the time of application, right? Because if you're a yeah. hundred years old and you've got you've been paying premium all your life and you've got twenty million dollars in death benefit on you, you're well, now your that. death benefit is that, in excess a, of your yeah. But that's a whole other point before we get there because yeah. that's a very important point yeah. right there in in. Well, that's why I always stress at the time of application, because if someone says, well, and I've had people ask, well, what happens if, you know, I'm 80 and I've got all this coverage, do I have to get rid of it? Like, is it because my... Oh, and that's a whole other point. Listen, if I own... Life insurance is a private asset. If I own it, I don't have to do anything. The life insurance company isn't going to make me get rid of it. The IRS isn't going to make me get rid of it. I don't have to do... It's mine. It's It's like the only time that the... The, that world can intervene and say can, or control how much you can have is at the time of application. And that's exactly where insurable interest exists at the, the time yeah. of application. Yeah. Hence, and, and let me finish the point on the income producing spouse mm-hmm. has a million mm-hmm. in force. Mm-hmm. The non-income producing spouse can have a half a million, 500,000. Mm-hmm. And some companies, they can 
they could have up to a million because the income earning spouse has a million. So the non-income earning spouse can have a million. But if the income earning spouse had two million in coverage, then the non-income earning spouse could have 1.5, dollar for dollar up to a million, and then 50% of what the income earning spouse has above a million. Yep. All right, so. At the time of application. You can can (laughs) say that all day long. The insurable interest only exists at the time of application. Because if I take this scenario further, I'm the income, or the not, I have life insurance issued, I own it. It's a private contract, it's a private asset. Just like a car, a cow, a tractor, a piece of real estate, I can sell that on the open market. Mm-hmm. Now, the buyer of life insurance on the secondary market has no insurable interest, right? And so yeah. the insurable interest only exists at the time of interest, uh, at the time of application. And then, too, going back to your income, we're talking about numbers on a page. What what pages are we talking about? We're talking about tax returns, you know, documentation of income. All right. And they look at this year or the last two years, really this year and last year. And the greater amount of death benefit that you're applying for, the more they want to verify the underwriters. Yeah. Right. So typically, and I've said this many times, you know, the tax return that you're submitting to verify income, to verify suitability, you know, the life insurance company also wants to make sure that you can even pay the future premium. Right, mm-hmm. because contrary to proper popular belief, it does cost these monies. It costs the insurance company money to get these policies in force, and they're not profitable till way out into the future. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you have all these tax returns, and they don't want it necessarily. Just it depends on the total face amount. But once you're getting five million, ten million, and these larger amounts, they want to see documentation that's provided by a third party, like your CPA. And I love this. I, I want to, before, just quick, 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 quick thing. <laughs> right. Quick thing. For most people, not, well, I don't want to say most. For a lot of individuals where the uh, proposed underwritten death benefit, the amount of coverage, essentially, that the underwriter is evaluating to determine if it can go in force. <laughs> for a lot of people, that number is not so high that tax documentation becomes required. Oh, no required. question. For a lot of folks, you can just represent to the company, tell them this is what the income is, and they'll use that as the basis for their financial Well, underwriting. yeah, and look, let's, look, the life insurance company fully expects you to be honest on an application. Yeah. They're taking you at face value. Yeah. Right, now, they always have the right to request documentation. Do they on the, you know, more reasonable amounts of death benefit no they don't because they believe you but however the first time they discover you're less than honest on an application then it becomes a moral issue and then they probably are not interested a legitimate company is probably not interested in issuing the coverage right okay all right so if i um, go back to the documentation that's required at larger face amounts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, larger premiums are going to produce larger face amounts. And when you see what's going on with dividend-paying life insurance structured this way, you can't put enough money in fast enough. Literally, actually, and factually. And that's why this comes up, right, in, in the IBC world. You don't hear, like, at the end of those term <laughs> insurance commercials, you don't hear little fine print about establishing insurable interest, right? It's, this doesn't come up in the conventional oh, financial... I don't listen to those ads, but 
it, you can't avoid can't escape them. I go to watch a <laughs> UFC <laughs> show. It's there. It's like, it's like a twenty-year-old non-smoking male can get five trillion dollars in insurance for fifty-nine cents a day. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, so, the, so this says insurable interest doesn't come up too often in ordinary life insurance type financial planning, uh, and. <laughs> Frankly, it doesn't come up in a lot of instances where the IBC is the subject because the, we're just not talking about significant uh, it, it does come up. You know, there's... But it can come up in sophisticated... There's the case. public side and then there's the the other side. You know, I know that, you know, I, I like to think we make it look easy. There's a lot of work to get legitimate policies in force and this is properly. Yeah. This is part of it. And this is really a, an argument, a struggle, a battle that the agent advisor uh, I want to say endures but actually enjoys. It's his responsibility. Their responsibility. Yeah. Right. And when they're competent they can get it done. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but I want to go back yep. to the documentation, the third party. This is what uh gets me all right because the insurer well we, you know we'd like to see third-party documentation two years of your k1 tax returns and all your entities you know those the c corp the s corps and the llc's that you own that's a lot of documentation i right? see everything if they want to see stuff they want to see it all <clears throat> yeah, yeah and right underneath that professional the third-party professional signature right is a statement that says i haven't verified any of these numbers <clears throat> i'm relying on the uh the individual. The applicant, so the individual, right? Honestly provide, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So really, what's the purpose of that? Pass the buck, CYA. Well, I yeah, mean, it's just a box that the underwriter gets to check, and he must check. Is it, you know, is the insurable interest, does it exist? Is it suitable? Are we within guidelines? You know, it's check, 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 check. And then uh, it becomes a challenge sometimes because, you know, every time the, and I'm, listen, just don't put words in my mouth and don't assume what I'm saying. Please just listen to what I'm saying. Okay. And then think about it. Um, every time the housing market crashes, every real estate, not every, an awful lot of real estate agents and mortgage lenders are suddenly out of a job. <laughs> so then they have to pile into the life insurance business among other businesses. You know, every time the, the, uh, the government restricts like Medicare supplement sales, then the Medicare supplement agent has to dive in. Or the guy who retires from Lowe's wants to become a financial expert. Um, and they don't necessarily know all the mechanics of getting something through underwriting. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying that it's a impossible task, right? Um, it wears the underwriters out, right? And some of that bleeds over into the uh, onto the professional that's day in and day out legitimately you know putting business in front of the underwriters and helping them making it easy for them to say yes right do you understand what i'm saying am i communicating i get it i don't think people know the the problems that can happen if, if they've got a complex tax or accounting or legal situation with different entities and different cash flows and, and they really get IBC such that they they know the true nature of their underlying cash flow and they want to pay a, an appropriate premium that corresponds to that substantial, true, legitimate underlying yeah. cash flow. Yeah. That individual, at the end, that case, not even that, that case needs 
an agent who knows how to have the conversation with an underwriter. Oh, because and even has the ability to have the conversation with his client, right? And client. to find the right information for at the, at the outset <laughs> to then go and convey it to an underwriter in a way that will get the. Uh, that in, a, in a legitimate fashion and <laughs> an appropriate fashion to allow the underwriter to say yes. Choosing your words wisely. I'm <laughs> trying to be very careful because, well, I mean, it, it's a complex thing, right? There's an, this whole CPA th niche cottage market exists because of the complexity of the tax code and because of the legitimate need for uh, uh, protection from litigation and protection uh, t tax liability minimization that's all legitimate that's fine no question and, and documentation can be prepared with that goal in mind and I, I get all that it's just that at the end of the day if, if, if and this this can become a problem for people who just want to play the tax game right take up all the deductions you can oh uh, very common in the real estate industry yeah just want to play the tax I've game. i've got all these cash flows but i'm carrying forward all these losses i have no taxable income you have no income to insure you i mean you could say that five more times i mean it's like if and someone and when i get the people who on the first call are proud of all the machinations they've done <laughs> to reduce their income. Okay, I get that. I get yeah, that. And the, and the and and short-term tax liability mitigation is like the holy grail of conventional finance. I get that, right? But talk just, about a cottage industry built upon that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've really oh. cut your nose off to spite your face, right? Because. Again, the whole reason we went through this with debt repayment a few weeks ago, the whole reason short-term tax liability management is legitimate is because it reduces cash outflows, which increases your total capital, right? It's all, it's all nested within the broader objective, the broader correct financial objective. Can't we just look at life insurance and the cost of death benefit? Can we just really <laughs> yeah. keep this simple, please? Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, you just sounds to me like you're just trying to gin up some commissions. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, this is, this really happened. And no, this is legitimate. Because I'm, people get the impression and when we talked about the the cookie cutter policy design before, where the it's like customized, yeah, it's, all, it's all very customized. It's all very customized. It has the same structure and for everyone, because everyone is the same. It sounds so dadgum socialistic. Same, but same structure we're using private capitalism. So okay, same structure. But I've found now same premium. What do you mean? Where it's a, I know it's agents just saying this is an IBC style policy. Here's oh, here's that's the, the premium, premium that's wow. required to do it. Policy's already built, right? Premiums this level. They can't even design the policy. This is what you need to do. This it's it's the exact same policy, <laughs> just different sure. insured individual. I, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. So I think the perception is out there that of that where it's like here's this is what it is and you've yeah. got to do exactly this and so the the highly productive the business owner type the one who's really out there hustling may not understand that the the, the wide variety of potential policy designs and well, levels that can go in place and, and and the kind of unique the potential is there but right and well and the kind of unique uh, understanding, like we were talking about with the agent conveying information, finding certain information, conveying that to the underwriter, the sort of unique expertise that that requires to get the unique policy in place to accept the I can hear an insurance agent out there right now thinking in his own mind, it's like, 
Dang, y'all are complicated. It's not that hard. I just submitted an application. <laughs> right. And they get lucky because it's within all the underwriting perimeters. Yes. They right? take a shot in the dark and they hit the target right, without right. knowing that they had to aim for it. Exactly. But see, that too is part of the reason why uh, this speaks to the problem of the cookie-cutting, customized policy by design or premium or whatever it is. Whenever someone does understand the banking function and the infinite banking concept, as Nelson Nash taught, um, and they don't just hell half these guys don't even pay, don't even give them a lick of credit, right? But and if they do, then it's sided out of their. It's not legitimate because they're not doing what he taught. Okay, all right. You got a business owner that, and, it, and it generally it's a process of time of understanding. I, be, I understand and I believe I went through it and I was sharing with it a client uh, just yesterday. It's like when we first start, there's a huge element of unknowing faith and belief mm-hmm. and almost hope that it works out as good as you think it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and once you get past that and you experience the, uh, the results of your actions, paying high premium, high cash value, controlling uh, a portion in the beginning of your banking function, then it's like, oh my gosh, I want to buy another policy. Oh my gosh, I want to buy another policy. And when you use these customized policies, you have purchased so much death benefit Mm -hmm. that you can't purchase a second or third policy. Number one, that's just one. There are about five or six things that are wrong and we've talked about it to, you know, I get it at at length, but there's an awful lot we haven't discussed, right? The, that's what's wrong. Why? Because I don't feel like I'm called to educate every financial advisor out there, <laughs> right? and and don't. But the people want to know. The people want to know. You have every opportunity to contact me, to contact Ryan, and you can find out the truth. You can know we're not, I am not, we are not withholding anything from the general public. Zero. We want you to know. We want you to understand. Or there wouldn't be over 100 hours on this channel. I don't know how many pages of Medium articles you've written. Going, you know, on the way down here, going back to find the last time we talked about a business owner uh-huh. in the context of IBC, it took like 10 minutes to find them. <laughs> 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 yeah, okay, so... You know, the, the the idea of cookie cutting anything is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it always reminds me, and a guy asked me one time, he said, James, you know, and I don't want to get all preachy, but, you know, you go back into the Old Testament, you know, and in, 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 uh, all the altars, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, these altars were built out of stone. And a guy asked me, he's like, uh, you know why they didn't build them out of brick? I'm like, no, why? Well, God doesn't want everything to look alike. He created us as individuals. You know, the stones are individuals. You know, you, you create a brick altar and they all look brick. So you go into Babylon, everything's built out of brick. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it's okay to be unique. It's mm-hmm. okay to be different. You want to be different. His policy does not need to look like my policy. Why? I'm 58 years old. He's like younger. <laughs> Right? Uh, I'm just saying that, that you do not want them to look alike at all. Right. You want them to perform well, to serve you well over your whole lifetime. Why, James? Because it's a life insurance that mirrors your life. So 
and you don't want to be forced into a position. I've seen this uh, when you mentioned earlier that the the uh, a thing that you've seen recently is every premium looks the same. It's like just stop, quit it, stop. I had a stop. guy. I had You're a not guy. Helping. <laughs> I had a guy with no income. No, uh, uh. Told to pay ten grand in premium because that was what the policy. That's what the an IBC policy. We is. have people call us every day, all day long, and they have spoke to you know maybe one somebody else, two somebody else, or what have you, and they're telling us that they're being told they have to pay X number of premium or it won't work, or it won't work. Yeah, or it's so low yeah. at premium <laughs> that we don't even want to talk to you. You've got to be at this level. 10 grand, 15 grand, 20 grand, or whatever, or we're essentially not going to help you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow. I mean, yeah. anyway, uh, going back to a point that you made earlier that I want to expand upon, and, I, and I'll, I'll let you get to your uh, expanding out on your C Corp mm -hmm. insurability because that is important. But, um, the idea of right now, my income right now, and let's yeah, yeah, look at know, yeah. <laughs> the insurability right now. Um, you're never any younger or healthier than you are right now. The future is unknown. Good intentions are exactly that, good intentions. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to continue to work out. That means nothing. My intentions are I'm going to do that. Right, just like income, I can't show an underwriter. Oh, I'm going to make two million dollars next year. Yeah, no, that's an intention, a projection, a hope, a wish, a guess. Maybe it's a, a, a you know an educated projection. I'm not disparaging that. It's right now in the last two years. Your health right now in the last however many years, um, and insurability is can be very fleeting and it can happen becoming uninsurable can happen instantly instantly, yeah. instantly i don't know how many people that i have spoke to and it seems like over the last several years a lot because the idea of beans and rice solution people are realizing it is not the end all the be all mm -hmm. and of course they get crucified and it's like oh well you didn't follow the whole program you know or you'd be a millionaire <clears throat> these people become uninsurable men what I've seen over the last several years men become uninsurable in their 50s and their 20 and 30 year term rider runs out and they cannot they're uninsurable they cannot get life insurance and then whether their 12% long term growth stock mutual fund actually returned that never um, or they didn't invest the rest or um, you know, this one year that the market's up 24, 25% before a correction, this happened, I don't know, four or five times in my career, didn't pan out like they thought, right? And now they're uninsurable. So, uh, and it goes back to right now, are you insurable? Right now, right now, not in the future. <laughs> right I mean, right now. And look, the uh, the idea, if the income factor, you can, I think, have 30 times your income mm -hmm. in total face amount. At my age, I can have 15 times 
Right. It's so, a significant the the change in the income. It's a you know we talk about change in tax brackets and stuff. Okay, there's you can be in different income factor brackets. Yes. Right. The so, older I get, that factor goes down. Now, of course, significantly stepwise. Well, that right? was fifty percent. If you can have thirty, and I can have fifteen. Yeah. Right. Or hundred percent, whichever way you want to look um, at it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it goes to like so for for instance, eighteen to age eighteen to thirty, a proposed insured in that age range, I'm in that range, thirty x annual gross income, thirty one to forty, for instance, might be something like ten or twelve. I'm sorry, twenty five times. Right, you go down by a by a factor of five from thirty times income to twenty five times income. Right, and then from fifty. What did I say? I said uh, 31 to 40. From 41 to 50, it might go down to 20 times. All right, so significant hits to how much yeah, you can 15, multiply 50 income to 60, by. it goes down to 15. 60 and above, it goes down to 10. And then 65 and above, it goes down to 5. Yeah. And then New York states are a little bit different. They're even more conservative than the numbers that we're walking through right here. So if, you, if your income <clears throat> stays fairly level, not saying it will, just hypothetically if your income stays about where it is as you get older the degree of your insurable interest falls off a cliff oh absolutely like a series of cliffs <laughs> it's, a, it's a graduated step down to zero yeah but then then it, let's say i had no income a real estate investor that's you know trying to be cheap and live tax-free and all that and i don't want to disparage real estate investors i've talked about them i love them Right. Uh, most of them. <laughs> I don't like the people that uh, the I don't. It's not the people. I don't like the idea, the mentality that I'm going to get something for nothing. Yes. You know, that that mentality, the mentality that that um, I don't want to put any skin in the game. Other people's money. I understand that. But like if there's a real estate event, you know, and, and there's a discount for married couples, you know, can I bring my buddy? You know, I mean, don't be cheap. Pay for your education. Yeah. All right, uh, digress. As income potentially goes down, and you may not have an earned income, you know, and there's different passive income, earned income, different things like that. But then it's a uh, the death benefit can be purchased as a factor of net worth, right? So I could be worth thirty million dollars, um, or I could, yeah, no, I could be worth thirty million dollars and have it collateralized on twenty five million dollars worth of debt. Mm-hmm. And so what's my net worth right there? Five. Five million. So I can have one times my net worth and death benefit, five million dollars. Oh, and you got a $20 million liability. So I'm just supporting the idea. If you think through this process, you need to get as much insurance as you can wrap your dividend paying whole life insurance that you can wrap your mind around paying. And if you can't wrap your mind around paying a big premium, go buy some convertible term at a minimum that's convertible to a dividend-paying whole life insurance policy. And I know that you you cannot find a term illustration anywhere in Nelson Nash's book becoming your own banker. I know that. And uh, and I also knew his solution to term. Well, you could buy term or... Oh. And I'm just saying, it's okay to uh, secure your guarantee your insurability and if you think that through well well, why would i do that i don't know the future is unknown tomorrow's not promised and maybe you have dependents and loved ones or causes that you care about if you have no dependents if you have nothing that you care about to the point where you're willing to take action financial 
action as well, then by all means, go do whatever you're doing and, and skip the infinite banking concept altogether. Yeah. All right, C-Corps. I don't want to derail you from that. Well, a couple, a couple things as you were going there. Um, I, I don't think people recognize, and I mentioned this kind of briefly before, the, the, how, how consequential it is that we establish insurable interest, right? Because I, I have people who are into their second or third policies. What? Because you didn't overbuild it to begin with? Yeah, exactly. And you didn't <laughs> underbuild it to begin with? Yeah. And they started with an element of faith and belief, then they put it into action, and then they got experience, then their confidence level went up because what you said actually delivered, what the insurance company illustrated is actually what happened because you're using companies that don't play games with dividends, right? Oh, and then it's like, it makes complete sense. Katie bar the door, let's get to it. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's good, so I'll have people say in their late 20s or late 30s, where they're about to go into that next income factor bracket. And we're talking about, you know, do we need to go bigger now while the insurable interest is there? It's a short or, answer. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, the question might be, they, they may just ask, you know, so what do you think about all of this? And I say, well, I, I might have a, a firm opinion if you're at a position where your insurable interest is at risk because of your age or what have you, you know, I might have, I might feel more strongly about you. Okay. Well, you should go higher or something like this. If you're in one of these scenarios where if you don't, well, then you might not, you know, you're, you might have to go out and get a lot more productive, generate a lot more income to create the insurable interest that offsets the lower income factor as you get older. And it's like, that's okay. That could happen. I was talking to somebody this week that, fairly certain, fairly strongly expecting a significant rise in income over the next three years because that would line up, can, even speaking conservatively, if that happened in the past. And uh, th within those three years, there was going to be a transfer over to the next income factor bracket. Mm. Uh, and so we're talking about, okay, well, if you didn't go bigger now. So you had to do all and, that math and think that through? Yeah. The income factor goes down, but his income goes up, mm -hmm. right? What so, would, what would that scenario look exactly. like? What would the difference be? Oh, so you yeah. were available to them two or three policies later to work through a legitimate question? <laughs> oh my gosh! I had that. I, it's uh, two days ago on Thursday. A day I booked five calls. I don't know why I did five calls that day. Too many. Abusive. It was, it was really abusive. It was a lot. I was tapped at the end of it. But the last call, an individual sent something. He's like, he's like, you know, when I was when I was first looking into this, and you guys mentioned the advisor client relationship, my first thing was like, well, what? Like, why? Who cares? Like, I, I need this policy. Let me get the policy and go. What are you talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah, right. And that is out there. That that mentality is pervasive. He just happened to articulate it. But that unspoken that's, that's mentality. Financial World 101. Yeah, what do I need you for? It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, Listen, yeah. I got to, and I know I said this before, I'm, I'm in an event in Houston several years ago. Really cool people in the industry, right? And this one guy is a son of a, of a, of a agent planner, you know, the, so he's been in or around the industry a long time. Mm. And so we have a lunch break and he's like, come on, I know the best uh, Mexican restaurant in Houston, Texas. 
well, I'm fat for a reason because I like food. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> so we go, and it's fabulous. Now, when, when I drive through Houston and it's anytime close to eating time, I go there, right? <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I tracked it down on the other side of Houston. Driving through Houston one time, it was on the other side of Houston. And from memory, two years or several years earlier, I'm like, find this <laughs> restaurant. That's how good the food is. Okay. So we're sitting there. And it's family style. It's, I mean, it's fabulous. I don't even know the name of it, but I didn't know where it is. Okay. We're eating and we're talking and, and service came out of my mouth, right? I'm talking about life insurance, you know, and mm. premium oh, and service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this young guy, he's, uh, he's probably 10 or 15 years younger than me. In the business. In the business. His daddy was in the business for years. He looks at me appalled and he says, service? There's no service in life insurance. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, no, you're. Yeah, and generally, generally that is true, and uh, but that's not me. And and I just couldn't really. I'm like, I didn't understand that. Yeah, you know, I didn't understand that was the mode of operandi for them. They're like, sell them and leave them. But when I first look, when I first went to work with a Fortune uh, 50 company by term. And invest the difference in their high price mutual funds. Um, the The first thing they do is, you know, they want you to list out a hundred people that you know, your friends and family. Yes. So it's like a. I think the multi level marketing industry or the direct marketing industry got their model from the life insurance industry, mm. right? The one hundred names. You know, you list a hundred names and then you go bug the fire out of them so they buy something. Of course, that's not a legitimate market per se, in my opinion. Um, do people make that work? Of course they do. Um, it just, it was never appealing to me. And, and ultimately, you know, 90% of the life insurance agents fail, right? In the first like three years, the higher uh, percentage of failure exists in the first year. So there's a whole bunch of orphaned accounts. You call them refugees. Right, and so you're new to the industry. Back in the day, there's no training, very little training from the life insurance industry currently, unless you're a captive agent with some of these companies. Where captive just means that you can't write other products unless they have a selling agreement with these other companies. Okay, um, they gave me a book mm. of orphaned accounts. <clears throat> you know, so. Why? Because there is no service. All of these people have lacked service for humpteen years. And they're saying, here, you young buck, go get her. Go get them. Oh, my gosh. Mm. The whole thing is like appalling to me. But, of course, that's why they told me I couldn't write life insurance. right? Because mm. their whole system, it was appalling to me. Yeah. And now I'm very proud to say that uh, we write more life insurance. I personally write more life insurance than... In a, in a week than those guys wrote in their whole career. And I'm not being braggadocious. I'm very proud of that. You know, they told me I couldn't do something. I believed them and it stunted me for a long time because I believed them. I should have never believed them. Um, but, you know, thank God Almighty and dumb, stupid, stupidity, dumb luck and, you know, perseverance because, uh, you know, you didn't have any other burning desires, whatever. Mm -hmm. Great mentorship uh, helps along the way too. Absolutely, I I didn't have the mentorship that that I had looked for my whole life. Mm -hmm. But I was told the other day, as a side note, how much life insurance death benefit is in force with uh, 
some companies that we have put in for us. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's a, so, which just means to me that number one, we're doing a fairly good job. I mean, we're not perfect. We try to improve, but uh, there there are generations that are going to be affected that I don't have the opportunity to meet, and I'm okay in a positive way. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I was thinking about that earlier this week too, actually. Um, but I want to, okay, so back on this insurable interest thing, because we had mentioned earlier that things are different for the non-pass-through people. So your C-Corp business owner types. Um, the basis for determining insurable interest in the context of a C-Corporation where, let's say the individual who started the company, you know, the individual who, you know, it, let, let's assume the individual is the sole owner of the company, uh, started it, is responsible for essentially the new value creation in the, you know, in my opinion, ultimately responsible for all the revenue earned by the corporate enterprise. Uh, in determining how much insurance that person can get, the basis is, and this just drives me crazy, yeah. <laughs> is that it's, it's net income paid from the business to that individual as opposed to the gross revenue earned by the corporation. Do you uh, see that? I hope the listener sees the difference. There, it, yes. It's the net income in that C-Corp context. Everywhere else, for the pass-through, people who have pass-through businesses, individuals, employees, 1099 compensated people, we can use gross pre-tax annual income yeah the, it gets kind of gray as the numbers go up yes and that that's true in the background that as as we talk bigger numbers as we talk larger proposed underwritten face amounts and therefore larger premiums now we want now the the underwriters are going to want it, it, verification it, of all of this you know and that, that all of that gets convoluted regardless of whether we're doing c-corp uh non-pass-through or pass-through types the greater the bigger the numbers in both scenarios, yes. the more complicated the underwriting gets. But let me put some numbers on this because, uh, and you're doing a great job. I'm just the C Corp produces ten million dollars in gross revenues. Yeah. Okay. For example. Yeah. And let's say that there's a fifty percent profit margin, gross profit. There's five million dollars, right? And then the net taxable after that, let's say three million. Mm. Right. So the owner in your example is ultimately responsible. Now, they may have a fabulous team and a whole army of employees. I don't want to discount those because there's some insurable interest that lies there as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. But in your scenario, why wouldn't the underwriters write a $10 million death benefit on that guy or that person? Because right? that's a gross number. And hell, let's put a zero on it. What if it's $100 million? Right? Why, why do they want to look at the $3 million or the $30 million? Netting down. Net, 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 net. Right, and so the idea of life insurance death benefit is tax free, right? So let's say that in this ten million, five million, three million dollar example, that the three million dollars comes in tax free, right? Now it's supposed to replace income. You're not replacing ten million dollars in gross revenues or three million dollars in net revenue with three million dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, so mathematically you can like make your case to the underwriter. And then the underwriter is going to, like, well, here are the guidelines. Right. So help me say yes. They don't ever say that. Never do they say, help me. 
please, never. But they want to work with you. Yeah, and, and the higher quality of producer you are, the more... Uh, Perhaps the more amenable they are. But look, and, and let me say this too. <laughs> in the life insurance industry, the industry has kept separate the underwriters and the agent on purpose because they do not want a cozy relationship with an underwriter between the underwriter and the agent. That's why the underwriters rotate. You know, the same producer is not going to get the same underwriter ever over and over and over and over. Right. And the, the insurance industry is very well aware of this. Well, um, I just Nelson? make friends with all of them. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, uh, Nelson, look, he said, when you solve for your need for banking, it'll require so much death benefit that you can't get it past the underwriter. Now, we're going to talk over an hour on this topic, and I think Nelson did it in a very short in sentence. A sentence. Yeah. We're just, you know. It's just that, that that statement, I've heard wisdom described as it, metaphorically as a seed. You know, it's really small and simple yeah. and plain, but it has within it the, the future of like a whole tree. It has like all these various implications yeah. embedded in that one. That sentence is like that, right? But one of the ways it manifests is in this insurable interest context that when well, we say we can't get it past the underwriter, and I'm not saying that we can't get it past the underwriter. We can I, get it. I, I can get it. Forward I can to get a challenge. it past the underwriter. <laughs> <laughs> right? I look forward to a challenge. Um, but that can't. That could be one of the obstacles to getting a, pro, a particular application, a proposed policy by an underwriter is in the context of insurable interest, where for whatever reason, the income's just not there. The uh, We took some creative approach to minimize short-term tax liability. Content, which resulted in low on-paper income that caused the insurable interest to not be there. Regardless of what that particular circumstantial background is, uh, someone can easily run into it. And the way I tell clients is, look, everyone who diligently practices the infinite banking concept over their lifetime will become fully insured. You will eventually yeah, reach no a point where you, if you went to go apply again and you told the <coughs> underwriter how much death benefit you have in force already, they, they'd you know, chuckle and say, well, thanks for all that past business, but we can't issue you a new policy. Everyone's going to get there. It's just, a matter, <laughs> it's just a matter of how quick you get there yeah. you know and when it is and how much ability to pay premium you can get in force during that time yeah. before your insurable interest is fully used up and you are fully insured that's the question right and so what we want to do is just given where somebody is in their economic development let's say is maximize appropriately how much ability to pay premium someone can get if they want it right if it's appropriate for their situation subject to things that can be a problem like insurable interest restrictions yeah the uh i mean this, this once you go down this path i mean it, there's a lot of ancillary topics and challenges that potentially come up you know um and and mainly or not mainly but an awful lot of the challenges are still between the ears right mm. we're talking about as soon as possible you know you're never any younger healthier than you are now a challenge that um, i've experienced over the last you know week 10 days uh 
are these individuals in their 70s you know they're individuals where businessmen or yeah. what have you they've either you know bought the beans and rice program and it didn't work out for them then they get beat up like i said earlier because oh well you didn't follow the whole plan see it's all the onus is always put on the client the onus is always put on the consumer in the financial world if you didn't win it was your fault you did something wrong mm-hmm. you know and it's like yeah I don't, I don't really like that but that's just the way it is um and let me say this, that if if you are going to wait until you're 70, well, that's a habit that you have developed over your adult life, right? Yeah. Is waiting, putting it off. Someday I'll, you know, like Jim Rohn, someday I'll, that island doesn't exist, you know? Um, it's okay to take action. Now, I understand that the, the noise is out there. We, I don't know how. We've talked over and over and over about the noise. Um, you know, I can't make it go away. You can't, you can't wish it away. The noise is there. You know, you have to push through the noise and decide for yourself if this concept makes sense to you. And you don't have to pay $4,500 to hang out with somebody on a weekend at a resort. You don't have to pay $120 a month to become a private member of a group, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. Patreon. Patreon or wherever. Right now you can, there's no question you can, but if you are going to practice the infinite banking concept, if you are going to even speak intelligently about the concept, and you, agent or advisor in love, if you're going to speak authoritatively about it, you should read Nelson's books, Becoming Your Own Banker, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. You know, I think most of his essays are published in Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. That's what Building Your Warehouse of Wealth was. Right? He compiled several things that he'd written over time and put them together. Well, it was more than that because, yeah, I mean, there, there's... Nelson and I had a lot of conversations about that. Um, I'm just saying that you can't speak authoritatively. And I don't personally believe that you should make a decision um, without this minimal threshold of education. Yeah. His six and a half hour live presentation is available at the Nelson Nash Institute. There's a link below and you even get, if you call our office, if you call my office, I will give you a 20% discount on that uh, six and a half hour DVD series. Um, and, and all told, I bet that is less than two, 200 bucks, two, is, $250. And then, so that's the money and then the time. Right, six and a half hours. It's okay to watch that more than once. It's okay to read his books more than once. A slow reader can get through Nelson's first book in three hours, three and a half hours. And don't shortchange yourself. Don't assume because it's a it's an easy read that you can peruse it and get it. You because you can't. I'm not saying uh, people who do that don't get it. They don't get it. They they think they get it, and then they're like, oh, I already know. I already do. Oh, yeah, my uncle sold life insurance. Yeah, we've been doing it. I talked to one guy, speaking of men in their 70s. This guy's older than that. And I don't want to throw him under the bus. I just want to explain in Jim Rome, you know, we can all be an example of what to do. And some people serve as warnings of what not to do. 
And my daddy used to tell me, everybody will teach you something. Some will teach you what to do, and some will teach you what not to do. Don't be the procrastinator. Don't be the individual that can't make a legitimate decision for yourself and your family until you're in your 70s. I mean, mm. don't wait, right? Yeah. Um, the way these policies are built, you can get mad and quit in the future and walk away with a guaranteed number. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. And, and, then, and then don't rely on financial gurus that have just retired from, you know, a big box store and have become financial advisors now. Here's a guy. I know I'm chasing rabbits now, aren't no, I? No, it's good. Had a guy contact us last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's like, James, my grandfather retired as the number one New York life agent in history. He retired. The individual who called you was himself older. Yes, so he was in his seventies. Grandfather, so this someone, this is a. And the guy sent me the letters that I'm referencing right I now. Know, yeah, you show me. 1927. He's got a letter from the president of New York Life because the agent's retiring and he's moving from New York or wherever he was on the East Coast to the West Coast, California. And the president of New York Life addresses the president at the time of Bank of America by name one president of a life insurance company to the president of another bank and the origins of, of uh, Bank of America are, are really noble origins if you go back all right okay and the letter says give this man he's the greatest ever New York life he's got blah 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 been in business a lot give this man a $1 million line of credit on his word if he so desires. 1927. Okay. Now the individual that calls me his grandson <clears throat> is like, wow, this infinite banking thing is really good. And I'm in a mentoring group with about 12 other really sharp individuals that do all kinds of real estate investments and all of these other things. And we like to vet things with each other, you know, to keep ourselves honest and keep ourselves from making a, you know, terrible decisions, which I agree with a mastermind and mentoring group. And so, you know, I explain what he could do, what could be done. And he explains to me what he wants to do. And so we create a solution. Right. And then um, right before implementation, you know, he sends me an email and he compares and this guy's doing real estate, going through the tax code where currently if the proposed tax changes in real estate take effect, he's going to lose his Yahoo Mm. substantially and I'm not saying it, it will or it won't you know happen um, he sends me a comparison of gold in 1927 I remember this and the comparison of gold what gold has done from 1927 to 2020 and he can to compare that with life insurance at his age of 70 based on 19 or 2020 and projecting them out and saying that like this is an equal comparison and then of course he questions my integrity which set me off right <laughs> because you know he and his siblings and his parents squandered the grandfather's wealth squandered it and now your group of 12 can't help you <laughs> right. to the extent in which you need help. It would be another group of 12. <laughs> so I'm just saying, that's a warning. Don't wait to make good financial decisions. 
Right. Don't rely on pseudo experts. Mm. Right. God gave you the ability to read and write and think. Right. I mean, reasoning is what separates the creatures from man. Yeah. And so my encouragement is to be an example. And I think if people knew, especially like highly productive people or, or people who, for who, who really believe in the infinite banking concept in general, whether they're highly productive or not, uh, is that if they knew how scarce insurability was, then they'd be chomping at the bit to get as much of it as they could. Because it, you know, sure as the calendar, sure, sure as the, it is that the sun will rise the next day, literally, sure as time will pass, your insurability will go down at some point. And will end at some yeah. point. Yeah. And then you're limited on the insurability you have in others. Very limited. Right. And, you know, I've said in the past, you know, what somebody needs in order to do the infinite banking concept is that somebody's got to get approved for life insurance. And, and that, somebody needs to lead the way. That, Be the example. And that's and that's all true and good. But, you know, if somebody who used to be insurable who didn't apply when they should have waits and no longer is insurable and says, well, I hear that, you know, I just I can insure other people. Let's just insure other people. It's like, okay, yeah, you can. But understand that the restrictions on the magnitude or the degree to which you can ha you have insurable interest on other people, the degree to which you have insurability that you can insure in the first place is extremely limited when it gets to other people. And oftentimes, yeah. the degree to which you can insure other people <clears throat> is a function excuse me, of how much you've insured yourself. Yes. And so if you just dipped your toe in and didn't get much going in the first place, and now for whatever reason are insur are not insurable down the road. And by the way, I, I point this out to people. It doesn't have to, when I say in the future, you might not be insurable. I'm not insinuating that you might do something to make yourself less healthy. Right. It doesn't have to be something that you no. do. It can be something that somebody else does to you, right? A car accident. It whatever. could be nature. It, yeah. You're just aging. Right. And so it, I'm just, I'm not saying you're going to do anything in the future. I'm saying that the your insurability will go down. It's just a function of how fast, period. And and when, right? Because then your insurability might go up. You know, you could earn more income, earn significantly more income, and you could outpace the stepwise decrease in that income factor chart. That Great. And if you do that, wonderful. Um, and we'll, we'll ensure every dollar of new insurability you get. But uh, there's also the possibility that that doesn't happen, that the income either stays level or goes down or combination of that plus you getting older. Well, and two. And so we, but hold, we'll, hold, let me butt okay. that up. Come, for, come someone, on, for someone who does that who maybe just gets started a little bit. And you know, on the one hand, there is something to, look, this is a new asset and you're just getting started. It's okay to do as much as you're comfortable with now. We'll come back and add more later. We will do that, but time will also pass between now and then, okay? And what somebody doesn't want to be is the person who ends up with, because they're no longer able to get insured and they only had a little bit of coverage in force because you know they wanted to take this all in, in step, which I, again, I. Under, just know that there's a trade-off to that. There's a trade-off to waiting to fully adopt the concept. And the trade-off is the possibility of not being able to get more insurance when you'd want it, when you decide that the time is right for you. And where I don't want to see people get is they have a little bit of death benefit insured on themselves. Maybe they're 
other family members or the the circle of their economic or business or financial partners is limited or restricted or not there at all right and so now you've you know i, I say someone's got to get insured well just because you may have a, a few people in your life that you can insure if you don't have sufficient death benefit on your own life then it, it, it could be difficult if not impossible to get enough other policies in force on other people to get you the ability to pay the premium you want to pay. No question. That, that could absolutely, and that does happen. The first, the first question the underwriter is going to ask when you're buying life insurance on somebody else, in not every circumstance outside of business, right, is uh, how much do you have on your own life? Yeah. So, like, oh, wait. And then let me say, too, that on a properly structured policy, and I know that is bandied about by everybody, and the question is, well, what do you mean by that? There's there's a lot of meaning into that. But a properly structured dividend-paying life insurance, the death benefit increases over time. So your your age and income, that factor, right? I'm 50, mm-hmm. I can have 15 times my income and total death benefit. If I already have a properly designed life insurance policy, whole life, issued by a mutual company, paying dividends, that death benefit is going to increase. So the death benefit is increasing. And even if my income is going up, my my factor on my income is going down because I'm getting older. Right. So we, we left that out and it's not said, but I want to bring that up. And then two, talking about the insurability on others, you know, in Nelson's book, um, the uh, the young college education $2,000 a year for 21 or 22 years what you don't see that grandchild to think about the amount of death benefit $2,000 would produce on a child Uh, it's it's going to be a lot because the cost of the death benefit is cheaper per thousand the younger you are Mm -hmm. right well the parents have enough in force for that to get through the underwriter at least two times the total face amount that is produced on that one grandchild Mm -hmm. and the grandparents are fully insured as well I'm not saying that parents were fully insured but the grandparents have a substantial amount and then the grandparents are also buying policies on all of the grandchildren you know you can't go to the underwriter and say hey, i have six grandchildren but this lovely young one is the apple of my eye so i want to put insurance on them well the underwriters are like what are you going to kill them what are you what are you going to do with the other five they want to see coverage on all of them you can't single one out hmm. right uh-uh. so there's a there's more to underwriting than oh i just want to pay a premium because i can pay a premium let me have a life insurance policy. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. This ain't none of that term quote generation stuff. <laughs> just type in a number and get Well, it. here, all the policies should pay this premium. I don't even get how, but I don't get how, uh, you know, a, a, I, I do. How? They were taught that. Look, this is what you do. For the first few years, Who you're, taught in the, them? For the first few years you're in the business, look, just sell these. Oh, my I God. get it. I totally get well, it. Well, I mean, I know that's a term is, I mean, in the life insurance industry is go write all the term you possibly can because mm-hmm. you're getting paid by policy count and total premium dollars. But then then you've got somebody to go back to and convert to permanent coverage later. I mean, I understand that. But in the infinite banking world, 
who taught them? I think they're self-taught, frankly. Right? So, oh, this structure is the best. Which means they didn't know come here from Sikkim <laughs> from the, the beginning. It was probably the agent who got out of production so fast to train other agents. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants them to go out and sell. But uh, now he's stock. he's mastered his click funnel marketing and he's producing all these leads and he's got a uh, revenue share with all these people that. And then you got to make it simple for the agents to put the policies in force. Yeah, you got to so make it easy to say yes to the consumer too. Yeah, right. And then the assumption is, well, all of you guys are the same. Or the assumption is if you don't like this ratio, you must like the complete opposite ratio. It's like all of this assuming. No, no. Here, let's solve individually for you personally and then determine what the ratios are mm-hmm. or the de- You know what I mean? You can calculate what the ratios are. Right. I mean. Well, and, and all of this discussion of insurable interest, we haven't even got into and may not have time today, but the no. implications for an application or for policy design Ugh. with respect to insurable interest, right? You start using these <laughs> oh contorted God. designs where you have to put all this additional temporary death benefit in force day one in order to get the illustration to print as a non-mech. Uh, you're now using... currently as a non-mech. That'd mean it won't mech later. Right. Yeah. What do you mean, James? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and, and you're using up this insurability. What does that mean? It means you won't be able to buy a pot once you figure it out how good it really is, and then you probably made a mistake buying one of those. Not may not be tragic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you figure out what's really going on, then it more than likely will be a hindrance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the the fact that you bought something that was customized it's cookie cutter like everybody else and i have to say that those situations can be resurrected like the i I talked to a surprising number of people who no one else is really out there uh evaluating the conversation in the way we are right of of what's what else going on so people listen they listen to everything then they contact and it's like you've kicked their dog because they're so angry? sad or upset uh. or angry or emotional, just that they they think they've made a mistake in the past, and oh yeah, yeah. and it's like so I don't want to. I, I kind of feel bad in that respect. It's like I don't want to make people feel bad for what they bought in the past. Yeah, no. and, it's and, not the end of the world if you're insurable. Number one, it can be uh, resurrected. If you're not insurable, there even if you buy, I see them all the time with these people buy universal life insurance and you know, the agent got paid, the company got paid and, and everybody's great until you keep living and you don't die. <laughs> right. And then, I mean, you, it, but if you become uninsurable, I mean, it, it, it takes, uh, some, uh, some effort to understand what's going on and then to manage an asset. Yeah. All right. So I'm not, so I agree with you. It's not the end of the world. There is a solution, but you really do need to work with somebody who understands what's going on, right? And just because they have a life insurance license does not mean that they qualify, oh, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, I mean, you talk to this, you know, the investment company that's, you know, five offices in every town of 5,000. Had a mm. conversation with one of those guys, you know, retired from a big box store. That's my reference earlier. And he becomes a financial guru. Nice guy. He just knows zero about life insurance. Zero. Oh, wait a minute. What has the market done over the last couple of years? Going straight up like gangbusters? Well, hell, everybody looks like a hero, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I was sitting next to a guy at dinner the other <laughs> night, and he was going on telling me he loved that the, his financial advisor was a fiduciary. He really liked oh that. Oh, my. We talked about that <laughs> He before. asked me if I'm a fiduciary. How do you spell that? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he was, he was going on. And on. He's like, yeah, my, you know, he created a million dollars over the last 10 years. And I'm like, what, a, nothing. what a convenient time horizon to look at. <laughs> what? Greatest market rise in history ever? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you start with? Did he tell you? He didn't say. That's like talking to the uh, real estate investors whom I deeply love, right? Um, they don't do deals in under 20, 25, 30, 35% rate of return. Mm-hmm. All right, well, did they ever tell you about the deals that they lost? Right. No, that, who right. talks about that? Who talks about the, you know, other? I mean, some people talk about, yeah, you know, the money I lost in the market in 2000 and, you know, 2001, 2002. But look, you look, 2003 to 2007, he didn't make money in the market. Oh, the people that weren't in the market. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, and then when that goes wrong, and it's like, whether it's contrived, whether it's, you know, on purpose, designed, I mean, I don't even get into all that. I'm just saying that uh, who who didn't make money between, you know, 2000, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14? Oh, only the people that weren't in the market. You know, so am, am I disparaging the market? No, I mean I love free markets. We just don't have any, right? <laughs> I mean, um, and I didn't even engage. It's like, it's like, and especially too when people say he made me so much money. Oh yeah, it's like you're so you, money is a specific thing as we talked about recently. Uh, I, I love. Not, let me be dependent upon him. My financial advisor does this and this and this, so I'm gonna. It's like, oh my gosh, abdicate your responsibility. He was telling me about like the trips he's gone on with the guy and the wine that he's bought him and how the guy takes care of both his and his ex-wife's finances because he's that good. It's like, geez, you know, he's well, maybe president he of the fan club. Yeah, maybe he is that good. Perfect. All right, that's that's what my thought was. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. So then I seen one big organization I didn't read. I just perused the headlines. I don't, but one big, well-known financial association organization that you have to pay to use their copyrighted emblems. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows them. Three digits, right? It's supposed to be the hallmark of financial planning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They just shucked about thirty five hundred or four thousand members. Did they? Yeah, it's a big number. I don't know. You could tell I pay attention. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I wonder why they did that? Because they're peers of driven snow. Yeah. 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 Sure. Hmm. Hmm. And they were all fiduciaries too. Oh, oh. yeah. I didn't want to get into it with the fiduciary. You brought it up. What do you mean you didn't yeah. want to get into it? I should have asked the guy, how much of that could you get to right now? <clears throat> Ooh. <laughs> well, he doesn't mind paying, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20,000 a year in management fees plus trading cost, I'm sure. Right? And how long has he been with him? Over 10 years. He doesn't mind paying him 100, dollars to $300,000 plus trading costs, but he wants to scrutinize you insurance agent for making that big old commission on life insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. You know, what's new? Yeah. Nothing. Cool. I'm glad we talked about that. What did we talk insurable about? Insurable interest. Of course. Insurable interest. I think that uh, it wasn't just limited to insurable interest, but um, I think it's a good conversation. We generally have great conversations, in my opinion. Although I don't go back and listen to everyone, 
Right, and I don't, I don't want to. Um, so as you're listening, you know, don't carve out one or two sentences or statements and, and beat us up or assume that we're saying something that we're not. There's over 100 hours on this channel. Um, and I'm not saying you have to listen to all 100 unless you want to master the infinite banking concept. <laughs> <laughs> then it would be okay to. So I'm just saying don't carve something out and say, oh, I, uh, you know, explain what you're saying or reword what we're saying or or you know imply what we're saying james is saying he gets sensitive about some of the comments <laughs> I, I do i do get sensitive about some of the comments um but i i don't on the other hand you know want to discourage people from commenting i mean free discourse is a hallmark of a free yeah. society so by all means comment but as i learned as a young man uh, probably in my 30s I was a slow learner it's like it's better to keep your mouth shut and let someone think you're a fool as to open your mouth and prove them right that's all I'm saying and it's okay I think that's a good spot to end oh you're just hungry you just want to go <laughs> <laughs> alright thanks for listening bye y'all Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.